Cortland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi there. Don Wardlow here, your Baseball Lifer. And it's been quite a week. We've had four sweeps. I didn't expect that for a minute. I thought at least one of those series would go to a third game, which would have been played yesterday, Thursday the 5th. But all four of them were done in two games. One you can definitely count an upset, and that's the Diamondbacks with their 84 wins on the road in Milwaukee facing the Brewers and beating them in, I think, the two best games that were played. The Diamondbacks won those two games, 6-3 to three and 5-2. to two. So the Diamondbacks will move along, and we'll talk about what's going to happen next week after we have our interview with journalist Peter Altschul. So besides the... Diamondbacks upsetting the Brewers in the National League. The other series was the Phillies and the Marlins. And really, I was rooting with my heart when I said, you know, I wanted to see the Marlins win. But honestly, I didn't think they had a whole lot of chance to do so. But I really wanted their, especially for their two rookie broadcasters i wanted them to to enjoy the next round of the playoffs but they were soundly beaten they were beaten four to one and seven nothing by the phillies brace and stott hit a grand slam home run in that second game which ended up seven nothing over on the american league side of things call this a minor upset if you want the Tampa Bay Rays lost to the Texas Rangers. Tampa Bay with their 99 wins. Uh, they're going home. The Rangers beat them 4 to nothing behind Jordan Montgomery and 7 to 1 behind Nathan Eovaldi. And what's really disappointing, this is a team that's getting a brand new stadium. They got 19,000 for their first playoff game. That's inexcusable. There's no way there should have been a half-full stadium for the first game of the playoffs. Now, the other series in the American League, I don't consider this an upset. The Minnesota Twins were at home. They were facing the Toronto Blue Jays, and they beat the Blue Jays in two games. They beat them three to one and two to nothing. One thing I will say for Toronto in that series, their announcers were finally allowed to travel outside of the Dominion of Canada. That has not been the case for many years since the pandemic. So their broadcasters, Ben Wagner and Chris LaRue by name, they were allowed to go to Minnesota where the Jays lost the two games that they were involved in. So that covers the two series on the American League side of things. Texas beating Tampa Bay and the Twins beating the Blue Jays. 
And on the National League side, the Phillies beating the Marlins and the D-backs pulling an upset on the Brewers and ending another baseball season for Mr. Baseball, Bob Bucher, the Milwaukee broadcaster. The man is 88 years old, and I listened to him. Even though the team lost, man, he is incredible to listen to. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have author, journalist, Peter Altschul. He's written three books. He's written some sports essays in those books, and he's a regular panelist with me on the Sports Roundtable podcast that Bob Branco puts out every Monday. So Peter and I and a couple of others are on the panel for that program. So you'll hear from Peter Altschul after we have a word from our sponsor. And when we get back from Peter's interview, we'll talk about what's going to happen next week as we go from the Wild Card Series to the Division Series and beyond. Keep it right where it is. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. Courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back on the Baseball Lifer, Don Wardlow here. My guest is Peter Altschul. And Peter, before we get into anything, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on as a, as a guest. Yes, by all means. Uh, some of the essays you've written in your last two books have been concerning the game of baseball, and you have your share of baseball knowledge to bring to the table. I hope so. I want to start with the first of your books, even though it's the least baseball connected, and that is Breaking Barriers. That is the book closest to the book I'm trying to write, which is my memoir about my baseball career. Breaking Barriers is your memoir. It is, and I wrote it in, uh, well, it was published in 2012, and it essentially took me through, well, it it centers around uh, the uh, early 2000s, from like 2004 to 2007 when I got married, 
but it flashes back to uh, my upbringing, my uh, college experience, and um, it just all you know, sort of flashes back to various different things. And it also talks a lot about my background as an organizational psychologist, which is the which is how I made a lot of money uh, uh, as a professional, but also as a musician, which is uh, also a, a love of my life. So you played percussions in definitely the high school band. Did you also play in the college band? I did. I played percussion in the Princeton marching band, which is a, which was a, which was a lot of fun and also played percussion in their, in their uh, jazz ensemble and orchestra and uh, concert band, which they called the wind ensemble. And it was the thing that distinguished me from, you know, other people on campus because I was this blind guy who was a good percussionist. And, and I, their I, marching, their marching band was for a while there, a famous marching band. Well, it wasn't famous because of its professionalism. Uh, it was famous because it did weird. Well, it it wrote its own. The students wrote our own show, and every every week at every uh, Monday night, anybody who wanted to would go to the Princeton pub and drink lots of beer and put together the show. And then it would go to the censors, and the, and the the goal was to get as much by the censors as we possibly could, uh, and then embarrass the censors when, when it was read during the football game. That that was the goal, and we 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 didn't mar- we did march in formation, but uh, not really. And so as long as we got to where we're supposed to be in the in the right in the right uh, design, it it worked. Uh, and so I had somebody sort of guide me from behind while I was playing drums and, and uh, um, it was, it was a great experience and it got me a chance to play in the, of course, during the football season, but also in the, in the basketball season where we had a pep band. And so I was involved with that too. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun, especially the basketball season. Cause we were good. The football season, we were not as good. Actually, we were terrible most of the time when I was there, but the basketball, of course, that was Princeton was known for its basketball team. So it was a big deal to be part of that band. It was a lot of fun. To explain to our audience how I know you, Peter Altschul, Peter is a panelist, as I am, on Bob Branco's podcast, Sports Roundtable. Now, where I lean way too heavily toward baseball, probably to satisfy a lot of people, Peter is more well-rounded than I am, and you have a certain amount of knowledge it seems about uh, most of the sports that get brought up on the program. I, I view myself as a sports generalist. That means I pay attention to the big picture in the the mostly the team sports. But don't 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 ask me about the the statistics, for example, or you know, getting into the weeds too much because I just don't follow sports that way. Uh, I I I like following sort of big pictures and looking for trends and. And in my books, the, the other two books, I sort of link sports, my sports experiences to more cultural issues. Uh, and um, that's how that's how I uh, incorporate sports in my, especially my my, uh, my more recent books. And those two, the, the older one is called Breaking It Down and Connecting the Dots. And the more modern one, published in 2021, is called Riding elephants. Now, you use the term "your elephant" in a number of your essays. Uh, what do you mean when you when you bring up your elephant? So, there is a book called "The Righteous Mind," came out in twenty twelve by a 
guy named Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. And his concept was elephants for him was symbolic of one's what he called intuitions, but I call feelings. And his argument is that the feelings are sort of the uh, uh, the energy that drives our actions and that our responsibility is to ride our elephant well, to learn how to control those feelings um, and and steer them so that they result in, in good things and they don't stampede, right? Elephants are terrific animals, but sometimes they stampede and can cause all kinds of danger. And the same thing is true for our feelings. If, we're, if we don't control them well, they can, they can control us and bad things can happen. So um, the uh, elephant in the book, when I say my elephant, I'm talking, I'm really talking about my feelings, you know, and, and I talk about how they're disrupted somehow, usually in, in, in the, when I use that image in the books. On the Baseball Lifer with Peter Altschul. And Peter, there are certain teams. Notre Dame football is one. The New York Yankees are the other. There are people in this world who don't like any team in these given sports, but they sure don't like Notre Dame and they sure don't like my Yankees. Now, my old boss uh, at Recording for the Blind, a company you're probably familiar with. I am indeed. Yeah, my old foreman at that job, he hated the Yankees. He didn't like any team. There wasn't one team in any sport that he liked, but he hated the Yankees and he hated the New York Giants football team, which played at Yankee Stadium in the years before I got to work with him. But now you're... <laughs> I won't say a hater, but you strongly dislike the Yankees to the exception of most others. I don't know who you like the most in baseball, but you sure have a dislike for the Yankees. No, Where I, did I, you I, come by it? I, it comes from my dad. My dad has an, has an interesting story. He uh, had to flee. Uh, my last name is Altschul, uh, which means old school in German, which is a Jewish name. Uh, but I'm not Jewish. I was raised, uh, and neither was my dad. He was raised Lutheran. But when Hitler uh, came to power, they decided that he is too, he had too much Jewish blood in him, and so he had to flee before he was sent to a concentration camp. So he ended up in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and you know he didn't know anything about the United States. He was a soccer guy. You know he followed soccer, but when he came to Cambridge, he was taught to love the Red Sox and hate the Yankees. Uh, and that's that's how he that's that's what he learned, you know, and so that's how he was acculturated into the United States. And so he raised me to be the same way. Although um, the interesting thing about my dad is that was that he, uh, you know, despised the Yankees, but he loved all the other New York teams. So, you know, I, I like the Mets and I like the uh, the Knicks, although they're terrible, and the you know the hockey teams and the uh, basketball teams, although the Knicks are terrible, the Nets are also terrible. Um, but so I sort of follow the New York teams. But my my uh, I I you know I've I've always despised the Yankees. Um, so uh, that's the way I was raised, and I stick by it. Once or twice in your time, you've had to take a brief fancy for the Yankees if for no other reason than because a Yankee win would help a team that you liked better than them. 
my dad got me, and that's really how I sort of discovered the idea of sort of common ground, which is sort of in my my professional work, getting people of differing backgrounds and opinions to work together on issues they can agree upon. And so when I was 10 years old, I was, I remember this, I was in, the, in my bathroom brushing my teeth and, and I hated the Yankees and loved the Red Sox. And, and my dad comes in, he says, we have to root for the Yankees. And I thought he was absolutely crazy. Uh, and I said, well, why? And he said, well, the Red Sox are in a pennant race with three other teams. And if the Yankees play those three other teams and beat them, then the Red Sox have a much better chance winning. Well, this was sort of mind-blowing for me to, to actually root for the Yankees. I, it never occurred to me that, that such a thing was possible. But I loved my dad, and I thought, okay, I, you know, I, I guess I can try this. And so whenever the Yankees at, at that year was the White Sox and the Tigers, as I remember, who were battling, and the Twins were battling the Red Sox for the, for the pennant that year. And um, whenever the Yankees played those teams, I'd root for the Yankees. And uh, uh, miraculously, the Red Sox won the pennant that year in 1967 and uh, lost the lost in the World Series to the Cardinals. But the Red Sox hadn't been in the World Series since I think it was 1948. It had been a while, you know, a long time. So this was a big deal for the Red Sox to make the World Series, even though they lost. And for me, it was, made a huge impression as a 10-year-old boy, you know, okay, this sort of common ground thing works. You know, the Red Sox won. I rooted for the Yankees when I when I when I had to, and the Yankees won enough games. To, you know, it was it was a sort of a, a great moment for me. And then and then the following year, the Red Sox were again in, in the pennant, and their primary uh, competitor was the Detroit Tigers. And my dad took me to our to my first Yankees game at Yankee Stadium. And I'm sure you remember this name, uh, Don. Uh, Denny McClain was pitching. That was the year he won 31 games. And I, I went and he was pitching for the Tigers. And we went uh, and we rooted for the Yankees because, the you know, the Red Sox were battling the Tigers for the pennant that year. And I remember the first inning, Roy White hit a two-run homer. And Phil Rizzuto was so excited. And the, the Yankees beat the Tigers two to one. And, you know, we were, but my dad and I were thrilled. We actually rooted for the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, even though, you know, we, we hated the, uh, the, the Yankees. And unfortunately, that year, the Red Sox did not win the pennant. They finished in second place. The Tigers won. But that really was sort of the start of me sort of understanding that, you know, there are times that, that you want people who disagree with to be successful, that they, that you, you could work with them, even though you might not agree with them on, everything there are times where you can work together with people um to get stuff done even though you come they come from different backgrounds than you do and that sort of was the start of my sort of passion as it were because that's what i've done uh professionally for i don't know 30 years you were at a special game because not many teams defeated dennis dale mclean not in 1968 and no man not has that. won 30 games since then that's true. It was it was a big deal for the, for the Yankees to beat him, and it was two to one. It was a close game, but Roy White hit that two run homer in the first in the first inning, and and they I can't remember who the who the Yankees were pitching that day. You know who their starting pitcher, but they he held on, held off the uh, the Tigers, and the Yankees won a two to one. Not uh, only will we not see a thirty game winner, it's looking like the twenty game winner may be going the way of the thirty game winner in baseball. It sure looks like it this year. I don't think there's anybody close to winning 20 games this year. And that bothers me as a longtime baseball fan. I mean, the first year I was in, 1971, the Orioles had four 
20 game winners. They had Pat Dobson. They had Jim Palmer. They had Mike, Mike, Mike Quayar. Quayar, yep. They had Mike Quayar and they had Dave McNally. They had the four of them. And now, as I say, there probably won't be one this year. And the whole phenomenon of the 20 game winner may be going the wrong way. And to me, that's a great disappointment. Baseball has changed a lot over the years, and there are times when uh, that bothers me, and there are times when it doesn't. Um, and um, I, I, I am I am not a baseball purist. I know most of most of your audience might be, but I am not. Um, I worry. My primary worry about baseball is that folks under thirty just don't care about baseball, and, and what what made baseball so powerful for us as baby boomers makes it, you know, sort of the, the slowness of the game and the lyricism of the play-by-play and, you know, the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the timelessness of the game. Uh, uh, folks, folks 30 or under who I've talked to just don't care about that. They want the game to end, you know, as quick, you know, as quickly as possible. Uh, they, you know, they, they don't have the, uh, however you want to say it, they don't have the attention span, if, or however you want to say it, that that we have, and it's so it's not it's a different world for them, and hence we have things like the the ghost runner for extra innings, and we have the pitch count, and we have the larger bases, and all this stuff that we talk a lot about on in perspective, and you know they're they're really trying to to interest the younger folk at the game, and I hope they're successful because I would be shame for baseball to become. Um, you know, irrelevant. And what I fear is, you know, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio. I listen to ESPN radio a lot and they almost never talk about baseball, even during the baseball season, because that's not where the audience is. The audience is football and basketball and sometimes baseball, but it's usually football and basketball is, is what gets the coverage. And I, I, that, that really worries me. And I hope it worries the folks who are, you know, um, playing and managing the game because they're in danger of becoming irrelevant. And you know something, before the last almost strike in 2022, I was saying a lot about the impending extinction of baseball. That's what I believed was going to happen before the almost strike, as I put it. They, they, They managed to not have the strike. They managed to play the full season. And now this year, 2023, and we're pounding down the stretch now toward the playoffs. And I love what these new rules have done to speed up the great game. You don't have games that are two to one that are four hours long anymore. That's right. That's right. No, I'm really happy with, with the rule changes. Uh, I, I, um, I'm really happy. I, you know, the ghost runner is kind of a strange thing. But it does speed up the game, and you know, fortunately, during the playoffs, they don't have the ghost runner, and they shouldn't. They should go. They should go back to the old way, the extra innings. But during the regular season, I, I do think that the ghost runner really does help. Uh, it does help speed up the game, and so I support that. I, I, you know, call me whatever name you want to call me, but I, but I, that's one of the things I, you know, I like about the this, the regular season games. Um, but I, I, I'm more optimistic now than I was because I, I remember. I think I think we talked about this, Don, during the sports roundtable, and one of the reasons we we want we 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 didn't want a work stoppage is because we were afraid that when the when the work stoppage ended, 
people would just tune out totally and they wouldn't be able to get the audience back. And now at least the audience is seems to be picking up a little bit and the, the talk about it is, is getting, you know, is, is a little, a little more and maybe over the next five years, it will come back to some of its former, former glory as it were. On the baseball lifer podcast with Peter Altschul, author of three books, one memoir, two books of essays, some sports, some otherwise. One essay that you wrote in considerable detail has to do with something that initially affected football, but has come to affect baseball because games will not be removed from the airwaves because the game is not over. They will keep the game on the air. And the reason for that is the Heidi game. Now, the book Heidi and the movie Heidi are forgotten in 20 through 23, but you were one of those who was watching or listening to the Jets and the Raiders the night of the Heidi game. It was one of the more remarkable uh, experiences of my sports young life. Uh uh, it was, you know, the Jets Raiders was a huge rivalry back then. You know, it was like the Yankees Red Sox. The the Jets fans hated the Raiders fans, and the Raiders fans hated the Jets fans, and they were in the playoffs. No, it was, it was toward the end of the regular season. And uh, all I want to do is to watch the game. But my sister was my my sister a hated sports, and b had to watch the the film the the, the movie Heidi for her fifth grade English project. And so when it came to seven o'clock, there were two minutes left to go in the game and the Jets were beating the Raiders by a field goal and they had a commercial break. And I thought, okay, surely they're not going to, you know, they're not going to, you know, start the movie, but they did. They started the movie. Uh, And, you know, and so instead of hearing the roar of the crowd, I heard these, this ridiculous violins and the birds chirping and the, the, the book babbling in the Alps of the mountain Alps of wherever German Switzerland is where the, where that movie. Is. And I, of course I threw a fit, but I, I missed the rest of the game because of that stupid movie. Well, I wasn't the only one who was pissed off. Uh, uh, all every football fan, you know, deluged at uh, WNBC, which was the, the station that was carrying it. And with, with phone calls and, uh, and, the bottom line was well, two things happened. The first thing was, which made the situation worse, the Raiders scored two touchdowns in the last two minutes and won the game, which of course we couldn't see because we were watching a stupid, you know, stupid movie called Heidi. And the second thing was, of course, um that you know, this this was this was ridiculous. I mean, who who would want to preempt a uh, preempt a game for 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 a stupid movie? Even though my sister was, my sister, I think, was the only person in the entire world who actually couldn't understand why this, this was such a bad idea. Anyway, so when when I got home, when we got home from school the next day, my mom, you know, sort of met us at the front door and said, "I just want you to know that the president of w, w, the president of WNBC got on the air and said we're, we're really, really sorry this happened. This will never, ever, ever, ever happen again, and it never has. That as far as I know." That one game, uh, you know, made it impossible for sports. You know, the games had to end, even though it might they might end thirty minutes after the start time of the next program. They 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 don't want to piss off the sports fans, and um, and so that's that was a 
I'm surprised that hasn't happened since, but that was 1969. So we're talking about more than 50 years ago that this happened. And to the best of my knowledge, it hasn't happened since. And it all happened because there were no VCRs yet. They were a decade away. There was no broadcasting on demand. That was several decades away. That's right. You know, baseball had its own situation, but it was more than 30 years later. It was 1999. There was a movie that was going to be on. And it was going to be a movie about Alan Freed, the disc jockey who lost his career thanks to payola. And I have no idea why my wife wanted to watch that picture. Uh, She did not care for baseball anymore. She had, but being married to me and being involved directly in the game had taken away a lot of her liking for the game. And darn if that game didn't go... Not 9, 10, 11, 12. It went 15 innings. And it will remember, it will. It ended with a moment you're liable to remember, the Robin Ventura Grand Slam single. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> I'd forgotten and, about that. And by the 15th inning, NBC had decided that movie wasn't going to happen. It would be run a couple of months later. But they knew that even then they were going to get more phone calls, you know, if they took the baseball game off the air. I, 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 this, I have a serious question. I don't, I, what would happen in 2023 today if something like that happened, 15 innings, and they took the game off the air in, in, in lieu of a movie? How would the fans react? Would, would they get the same reaction? I don't think you know, there's enough baseball fans out there. That, I, I think that's the point. That's the you point. Know. Yeah, that's so. what 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 caused all the trouble with Heidi was the amount of football fans that there were, and they weren't just even the Jets fans. There were calls all over the country about the Heidi game. Oh, it was crazy. Apparently, you know, I, I write write about in the book, and I found a really funny article in Wikipedia about the game and how people were call and curse people out, and and uh, you know the NBC and and how angry everybody was, and I was angry too. Or as I put in my book, my elephant was smoldering. Uh, I, I wanted to watch the game. I didn't care about the movie, and 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 of course the the point is the movie was sort of a children's movie. It's it's based on a children's story, and it's a very sweet saccharine sappy movie. And football, whatever you want to say about it, is not sweet saccharine and sappy. It's anything but that, you know. So you have this contrast of styles, and it just didn't work. So anyway, that they haven't, to the best of my knowledge, there have not been any hiding incidents since since that time. On the Baseball Lifer with Peter Altschul, our guest, author of three books. And Peter, the the question I'm trying to, to get at here is, with each of these books, how did you conquer what has been my most difficult mountain that I haven't climbed, which is finding the self-discipline to actually get this book written and finished you know mine is not finished not anything like it's well begun but it's not done well i I had two things going for me uh well three things going for me uh in writing this book the first one was i i tell the story all the time um i i i do not enjoy writing i never have i'm pretty good at it but i am not a passionate writer and um, when 
my wife at the time saw some of my blogs. She said, you need, you, you need to write something. You, you need to write a book. And I thought she was crazy. And then she, she looked uh, at a the university of Missouri catalog. I live in Columbia, Missouri, which is where the university of Missouri is located. Whose baseball team, by the way, is terrible. It's been terrible for a while. They've recently fired uh, uh, their baseball coach and maybe, maybe they'll get better. I'm not holding my breath. Uh, I, I digress. In any, in any case. So, um, Lisa is looking at, at the catalog and she says, oh, there's, there's this PhD level writing course, uh, nonfiction writing course. You should you should sign up for the course. I said, she'll never take me. I've never taken a writing course. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, she said, well, send her, send her an email, send her some of your writing samples and see if she'll take you. I thought, OK, fine. I'll send her my writing samples. She'll never take me. I, you know, I'm, you know, and so I sent her some samples and said, hey, you know, I'm interested in taking your course. You know, I've never taken a writing course before. Uh, you know, let me know if you would accept me. And much to my horror, she accepted me. <laughs> so um, I so I spent that semester learning how to write uh, in, in English, learning how to write for the the sort of av- the average man, as it were. Not most because what's most of what I written before was sort of in bureaucraties. It was written business English. It wasn't regular English. So she she was a fabulous editor. And she got me started on the the you know the memoir. Got me started and and helped me sort of edit it and and find my writing style. And I took the course again the the following spring, and um, it still took me another three or four years to write the book. So that was the first thing that that um, that made it happen. The second thing that made it happen was I had people sort of encouraging me all the time. How are you? How's the book going? What are you doing? How you know what? How much do you have left to write? You know what are you struggling with? I had several people asking this all the time, including my wife. And so it sort of drove me to get it done. And um, sort of the rest is history. Uh, so so I'll, I'll continue the story. So once the book, once that book was published, I was working with the publicist and she said, you need to start um, writing blogs more regularly. I said, okay, well, uh, what should I write about? She said, anything that interests you which is a scary thing to say because lots of things interesting. She said, whatever interests you, but keep each blog down to 750 words, no more than 750 words. And that was the best advice I ever got. So because people at 750 words can be read in like two minutes. You can read a blog and that of that length in about two minutes and then go on with your life. And so people actually liked my blogs and which, which I wrote every week about whatever interested me. And those blogs became the basis for my next two books, books of essays, the uh, breaking it down and connecting the dots and then writing elephants. And then once that second book was published, the writing, um, writing elephants, I haven't written, I haven't written a word since maybe I'll come back to it another time, or maybe I won't. But right now I'm, I am, I'm not one of these people who, who has a passion for writing and maybe there'll come a time when I, my life changes that I'll come, I'll get back to it. I love writing music and playing music and I love doing other things, but writing has never been something I'm enjoying doing, but I'm really blessed and fortunate to have found the support and the energy to get those three books out there. Before I ask my last baseball question on the baseball life for podcast with Peter Altschul, normally when I interview an author, the first thing I say is, the book is available on Amazon. 
in your case, I'm not sure if that's something I ought to do because when I went to Amazon, it didn't have an author biog for you. Is there somewhere you'd rather I said where to get your books from? If you, it, it is available on Amazon. If you type in my name, Peter Altschul, and then Writing Elephants, you will find it. And Altschul is spelled A-L-T-S-C-H-U-L. A-L-T-S-C-H-U-L. You can also Google me on the, uh, uh, my website is uh, www.dld, David Leonore David Books com slash Peter Altschul. So you can find information about me uh, on that site, including ordering my books. Uh, but they are available on Amazon. But there's so many books about elephants on Amazon that you have to type in my name and writing elephants. Uh, once you do that, you'll find it. The other thing that people can always do is reach out via email. My email address is creating common ground, all one word, creating common ground at outlook.com. You've had an opportunity to do something that not many of us have, blind or otherwise. You've gone in person to a World Series game. Early in this series, one of the very first interviews I did was with a guy who went to one of the games in the last World Series, the Astros and the Phillies. Your one was the 2013 World Series, the the Red Sox and the St. Louis Cardinals. So talk to me about your experience at Bush Stadium. It was a it was a it was a freakish moment. I mean, I'd never been to the never been to a World Series, uh, but somehow we we found um, tis, uh, uh, tickets uh, at a discount at Bush Stadium, and we found a hotel at a, at a decent price. And so for our anniversary, our early anniversary present, we went to the actually it was a late anniversary gift for both of us. We went to the Game five of the World Series, which at the time was tied 2-2 between the Cardinals and the Red Sox. And we were in the, the club, which meant uh, they A, it was an open bar. B, you had free food. And C, uh, uh, as a blind person, you could hear the game on the radio. So you could, you could you know, you, you know that, that was great. You know, you, you, could, you could relax and comfort and listen to the game and... Um, of course, there are lots of Cardinals fans there, but I, of course, was rooting for the Red Sox that year because I'm a Red Sox fan. So I had my Cardinals T-shirt on, but was rooting, but was rooting for the Red Sox. And then in about the seventh inning, the game was tied one-one. We decided to go and um, sit with uh, with everybody else, you know, the regular fans, which you could do. You could you could you could um, you know walk out the door and sit in the in in the bleachers, as it were. And but the problem was. The radio broadcast didn't extend to that spot, so you couldn't hear the radio coverage at all, which meant that I had to guess what was going on. Um, Lisa um, had is legally blind. She could see certain things, but not very well. And so between the two of us, we, we kept trying to sort of piece together what was going on. And on top of that, that was the inning where the Red Sox scored two runs you know, to, to take the three to one uh, lead. And we never quite, we knew the Red Sox had done things and we could sort of piece it together sort of. Uh, but we, I never really did find out um, how the Red Sox scored those two runs. But after the inning, we went back into the, into the, uh, the club as it were. And we, and Lisa was able to sort of see, see it on television and say, Oh, the Red Sox scored two runs. She was a Cardinals fan. She was not happy. But at the, at, after the game, 
we were heading out to um, the parking lot for the post-game dance, which was, um, you know, uh, essentially lousy beer and lousy music, uh, to, you know, uh, which they which they did every every game in the World Series, as far as I know, maybe every game. And on the way, we ran into a Red Sox fan who was wearing Red Sox colors, and so uh, we, you know, we greeted each other as Red Sox fans, and and you know made muted cheers for the Red Sox and went went on to do the the dance thing and of course the Red Sox won the series the next game uh easily uh and um the essay that I write about that and but but the interesting thing about that essay uh was that you know it, it, it as a blind person you really do need to hear what's going on because otherwise it's practically impossible to follow the game you know, it, it just it just was really hard. It was a challenge. We sort of figured it out, but not really. And um, uh, it was one of those memorable moments um, because of that. And 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 in spite of that um, and the following year, just to sort of talk about this whole common ground thing, the following year, the, the Red Sox and Cardinals again played each other. But that year, the Red Sox were terrible. Um, no, let me say this right. The Red Sox were terrible. And the Cardinals were battling for um, uh, a, a division title. And so I rooted for the Cardinals. And as I say in my uh, essay, I'm sure my dad would agree, would smile. He, he would appreciate that I'd make that decision. You know, I'm a Cardinals fan. I'm a Red Sox fan. Uh, the Yankees at that, I think that year were also in the running for, for a um, uh, thing, but I, I don't think they won that year. In any case, the, the um, Cardinals did, um, you know, they, they won the division again. In part because they they swept the Red Sox, and I rooted for the Cardinals that year because the Red Sox were terrible. So that's that's that that's that essay. We've been talking with Peter Altschul on the Baseball Lifer podcast. His books, Breaking Barriers, Breaking It Down and Connecting the Dots, and, and Riding Elephants. Elephants. All three of them are available on Amazon or other places where books can be found. And Peter, I'm glad you took a few minutes to talk with us. Thanks for having me on your podcast. We'll be back with a word about next week's show after this word from our sponsor. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our Computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at CortlandComputerServices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, CortlandComputerServices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon 
toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, following our interview with author, journalist, Peter Altschul, and of course, our thanks to Peter for joining us on the program. Tell you what we're going to have this weekend. We have four division series in baseball. Now, the earliest one, as it's scheduled, is for tomorrow at 1 o'clock, but that's in Baltimore. It's the Orioles against the Rangers. Now, the problem with that is there's rain all over the corridor from Boston to Washington. So whether tomorrow's 1 o'clock game gets played or not, I don't know. The Major League Office will be monitoring the weather, of course, and we'll see what happens tomorrow, Saturday the 7th. The other American League game is in Houston, where they have the retractable roof. You have the Twins playing the Astros down there. You know, the Astros have got to be a clear-cut favorite. They've been a couple of times World Series champions. They've been in the American League Championship Series almost every year the last six or seven years. By beating the Blue Jays Tuesday and Wednesday, the Twins won their first playoff series in over 20 years. So they don't have the playoff experience that Houston has. And that counts for a lot when you're talking about the playoffs. So those are the two American League games. And as of now, they're scheduled for one o'clock for the Baltimore game and 4.30 for the Twins against the Astros. Now, the two National League games are going to be played later on. The Braves and the Phillies are supposed to start just after 6. And at 9.20, the Dodgers will face the Diamondbacks. And the Phillies, on paper, the Phillies and the Braves look like the best series. They faced each other last year. The Phillies were marked up underdog then and they beat the Braves and ultimately beat the Padres and made it to the World Series where they lost to Houston. Now the Dodgers facing the Diamondbacks would be a prohibitive favorite except for one thing. The Dodgers have had tons of trouble with their pitching. A lot of injured pitchers on the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks are walking in there with Merrill Kelly to start on Saturday and Zach Gallon to start on Sunday. And this is a three out of five series. And if those two guys pitch as they can, that could put the Dodgers in a real spot because I don't see where they're going to find the pitchers to compete with those guys on the D-backs. They're the late game out in Los Angeles tomorrow and Sunday before they move to Arizona later next week. I hope you join us on the Baseball Lifer podcast next week. Until then, this is Don Wardlow. Have a good week. (laughs) 